Johnson. I'm Mary McCann. KPFT Houston. to the New Capital Show. I'm Leo Gold, and it is, uh, as always, great to be with you here at 90.1 FM KPFT in Houston, Texas, coming to you from the Montrose, one of the great neighborhoods of the city of Houston. Really, it is. It's Montrose is great. When I uh, when I moved back to Houston, I just said, you know, that's, that's the area I want to live and hang out in, and I've done that. For two decades. <laughs> maybe it's time to move on, but maybe not. Anyway, uh, the phone number here is 713-526-5738. We'll be taking your calls in just a minute. Want to get, we'll get lots of calls in today. So if you feel like talking about uh, stuff, then, um, then let's do it. Do it. Uh, we can talk about, I think I'll talk a little bit about Mitt Romney. I'm sure people have been talking about that quite a bit. Have they been talking about that? I've been listening to the radio much over the last. Oh yeah, but it's, he's it's, all over the place. It's just to me. He might it's, as well have made a, a movie about Muhammad. It's just it's just a it's just a fascinating thing to to uh, you know to see what this particular candidate is telling high net worth donors, and uh, and and more that he seems to be of the belief that there is a huge segment of this population half. Who have what did he say? Who are not able to take any interest in their own lives? I don't want to. I don't want to misquote him, but who who uh, he he is going to be unable to convince essentially to to take an interest in their own self sufficiency and their own care of their own lives. It was it was really a rather brazen thing to say, and it may he may not have meant it, but. Um, but still, that seems to be a viewpoint among a large segment of our political population, that there are people who don't have an interest in their own lives. And, of course, here on the New Capital Show, we tend to look at things. I know I do, and I know you do as well. We look at things through uh, through much more, I think, uh, objective viewpoint, the viewpoint of capital, that people have to have capital to be able to accomplish something. If you live in poverty and you live in the ghetto, there is not a whole lot that you're going to be able to do, period, right? You're not going to be able to really move anywhere else. You're not going to be able to really start anything. 
you're not going to be able to really generate anything. You have to have capital. And this is, I think, one of the subtexts of this entire election. You know, who gets capital? Will the government provide capital to those who need capital? So when the president gets up and says people people may have the aptitude and the desire to go to college, but they may not have the capital to go to college, and the government should step in to help provide capital, financial capital, to those who have human capital and want to attend college, I want you all to understand that what's going on at the back of this election are the very issues that we talk about on this show over and over and over again that I've been talking about for 10 years. You may think it's an issue of capital, of, of politics, or it's an issue of, 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 of rhetoric, or an issue of sentiment. But these are issues of capital. Who is going to get resources in our society to be able to maximize and optimize themselves and thereby maximize and optimize our nation as a whole? Because our nation as a whole is, is only composed of all of the smaller parts, which are us, individually. So when we have people who are not succeeding, who are not getting capital that they need to be able to succeed, that hurts all of us. And when we have others who are getting so much capital that they don't know what to do with it, other than to build themselves 57-room mansions with 13 bathrooms for a family of four. I saw one of these up the street literally from my brother the other day. He lives in Bel Air, and they're building an obscenity. Got to have a place to keep all those illegal nannies. Literally, it's an obscenity. It's a family of four. It's a very wealthy family. And their idea is to build some 57-room mansion with 13 bathrooms. Clearly, those people have too much capital on their hands to do anything with it productive. So they're going to put it into a structure whereby most of the toilets are going to sit unflushed. You know, most of the rooms unoccupied, but air-conditioned. And it's these types of indicators that we should be looking at as, as, as indicators as to whether our capital allocation system in our society is functioning properly. And by many accounts, it's not. That is the subtext of what's going on, and that is the subtext behind Mitt Romney's remarks as well. These people are, you know, moochers. They're depending on the government for everything. Well, they may well be depending upon the government for a lot. But they may have to depend upon the government because they have no other source of capital to them. They have no other way, perhaps, to get food in some cases. No other way to get educational capital. And so, yes, they may have the need to depend upon all of us for capital. Is that bad? I ask you. To Willard Romney, it's bad. Willard Romney, who's had everything given to him. Let's face it. I'm not saying the guy hasn't worked hard. But look at the amount of capital that Willard Romney has been able to command. Did he send himself to Harvard Business School? You know, somebody had to pay for that. Did he send himself? Where did he go undergrad? I don't remember. Maybe Harvard. Did he, did he, did he, you know... Did he get all the capital at Bain Capital to buy out all these companies? No. Came from some other people. He took a little vig on it. Did he set up the tax code that enabled him to profit so enormously? In two or three major ways as a buccaneer of private equity. No. It was the U.S. government who provided that capital. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. And as we talk about capital, this is just off the press. Diane Cardwell, the New York Times, reports that a tax credit in doubt, the wind power industry is withering. What was one of the very bright spots of our alternative energy business in its early stages here in the United States, and certainly one of the bright spots here in Texas has been the installation of large amounts of wind power in West Texas. 
There is a tax credit. You can call it a subsidy. That's fine. But it has amounted to about two cents per kilowatt, and it has made wind economically feasible to be produced, wind power. This article comes from Fairless Hills, yeah, Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. That's a good name. Last month, Gamesa, which is a Spanish company, a major maker of wind turbines, completed the first significant order of its latest innovation, a camper-sized box that can capture the energy of slow winds. Slow winds, right? So places where places where um, the wind maybe isn't as brisk as it is in West Texas or the Midwest suddenly become viable places for the generation of wind power. So Gamesa has made this new thing. It's a camper-sized box that can capture energy of, sl- of slow winds, potentially opening up new parts of the country to wind power. But by the time the last of the devices was hitched to a rail car, Gamesa had all but shut down its factory <laughs> and furloughed 92 of the workers who made them. Said Miguel Oro- Orobi, 34 years old. He worked as a mechanical assembler for nearly five years. He said, we are all really sad. I hope they call us back because they are really, really good jobs. <laughs> no, they just don't want to work. <laughs> right? They just want uh, they just want a handout, right? Right, exactly. The guy just wants a handout, Mr. Orobie, or- who says, we are really sad. I hope they call us back here because they are really, really good jobs. Yeah, we had a caller, Matt. He actually pointed out that a large percentage of those who depend on the government actually work their entire lives and paid for their own Social yeah, Security. paid for their Social Security. They're elderly. They're, many worked in the military. And now we find out that, that uh, and, and, and let me just get to the, to the rest of this article so you understand what's going on. As you know, everybody who listens to KPFT knows, we've talked about the gaming of the energy business in this country and the doling out of goodies. Anyway, similar cutbacks are happening throughout the American wind sector, which includes hundreds of manufacturers, from multinationals that make giant windmills to smaller local manufacturers that that supply specialty steel or bolts. Right? Just think about a, a, a local supplier that makes bolts. Think about think about the bolts it takes to bolt on some of that stuff way up there in the sky that's spinning around with all that all that torque and force you better have some good bolts on on those fans right you can't have those things go flying off right so somewhere out there in ohio or texas or houston or tennessee or i don't know nebraska there's Somebody's a bu- there's a bunch of bolt makers and nut makers and and uh, making these huge bolts that probably are as big as your arm and they're getting laid off In recent months, companies have announced almost 1,700 layoffs. At its peak in 2008 and 2009, the industry employed about 85,000 people, according to the American Wind Energy Association. About 10,000 of those jobs have disappeared since, as wind companies have been buffeted by weak demand for electricity, stiff competition from cheap natural gas, and cheaper options from Asian competitors. Chinese manufacturers who often underprice goods because of generous state subsidies there, right, have moved into the American market and have become an issue in the larger trade tensions between the two countries. And by the way, we're starting to see the Obama administration take some action over the last several months in several different areas regarding trade competitiveness and, uh, and subsidies from China. In July, the U.S. Commerce Department imposed tariffs on steel turbine towers from China after finding that manufacturers had been selling them for less than the cost of production. You hear this over and over again from China. I hear hear from people I know who do business in China. They say, people here, you have no idea. You have no idea they are going to do everything it takes to put everybody else out of business. I, I have no idea. But that's, that's what I hear from, from guys and gals coming back from China who do business there. 
And now, on top of the business challenges, the wind industry is facing a big political problem in Washington. The December 31st expiration of a federal tax credit that makes wind power more competitive with other sources of electricity. The tax break, which which costs about $1 billion a year. $1 billion a year. One B. Do you know how small that is? A billion dollars? Again, we've been spending, just to give you some idea, I don't know, $10 billion a month in Afghanistan? We were spending $10 billion a month in Iraq? Wow. Yeah. So a billion dollars a year to support this new industry. The tax break has been periodically renewed by Congress with support from both parties. This year, however, it has become a wedge issue in the presidential contest. President Obama has traveled to wind-heavy swing states like Iowa to tout his support for the subsidy. So the president backs a renewal of this subsidy, a billion dollars a year to the wind industry. Mitt Romney, the Republican nominee for president, has said he opposes the wind credit. And that has galvanized Republicans in Congress against it, perhaps dooming any extension or at least delaying it until after the election, despite a last-ditch lobbying effort from from proponents this week. Opponents argue that the industry has had long enough to wean itself from the subsidy and With wind representing a small percentage of total electricity generation, the taxpayer's investment has yielded an insufficient return. So some guy named Benjamin Cole, who's a spokesman for the American Energy Alliance, a group which is partly financed by oil interests that have been lobbying against the credit, he says big wind has had extension after extension after extension. The government should not be continuing to prop up industries that never seem to be able to get off their training wheels. My friends, do you know what would happen to the American oil industry if the uh, U.S. 6th Fleet was withdrawn from the Middle East? Do you know what kind of subsidy the petroleum industry of the world is getting from the U.S. taxpayer? You know, what is it, $200 billion a year just just to station the military in the Middle East? And what do you think that's about? Kumquats? Dates? Is it about the supply of dates? Are are we spending all that money? I mean, the chutzpah of this guy, these oil lobbyists, to say that this 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 rinky-dink small industry, the wind industry, and and it's it's always about the same thing, right? Who can present their electricity as being the cheapest? And so the fossil fuel industries. Of course, the coal industry, which has never had to pay for any of the damage that it does in the mining that it does and in the emissions that it makes, has barely had to pay for all of that damage. Now we've got fracking going on. And, of course, some people say, well, there's got to be some damage that's going on there. There should be a fee to, to pay for the damages that's, that are going to occur to the water supplies. Some of my earliest shows for New Capital Show, I talked about the fact that if you have two separate types of electricity, one belches two billion tons of CO2 annually into the atmosphere. The other belches none, zero. How can those two forms of energy cost the same? And yet that is what the fossil fuel industry would have you believe. I don't say let's not use oil. I don't say let's not use gas. I don't say let's not frack. I don't say let's not mine coal. I say if you're going to do it, you have to cost it out fully. And these businesses have gotten away for decades, really centuries now, a couple of centuries, with not having to pay for the costs of the extraction and the combustion of their forms of energy. They are wonderful forms of energy. Gasoline that we use in our cars is more powerful than rocket fuel used to send the the Apollo rockets, the Saturn rockets, to the moon. Did you know that? It's true. 
Don't look at me like that, Doyle. <laughs> it's true. Hard to believe. The, 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 the energy contained in, 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 you know, gasoline fuel that we put in our cars, astounding. So I, I say, okay, yeah, it's amazing stuff, but, but it's got these other costs to it. We have to, we have to assess those costs. And at that point, when we're assessing those costs, then you can say, fine, we're going to take away subsidies from the wind power guys. But we're a long way from that. And in the meantime, we have factory workers who are very sad and getting and getting laid off. Ryan Weiser is a staff scientist at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. He studies the market potential of renewable electricity sources. And he says that without the tax credit in place, the wind business falls off a cliff. The industry's precariousness was apparent a few weeks ago at the Gamesa factory as a crew loaded the guts of the company's newest model of the component into its fiberglass shell. Only 50 completed components awaited pickup in a yard once filled with three times as many. Most of the production lines stood idle and shelves rated to hold 7,270 pounds of parts and equipment lay bare. Tom Bell is the manager of the plant. And it was built on the grounds of a shuttered U.S. steel factory that was once a bedrock of the local economy. He says, we have done a lot to get really efficient here. Now we just need a few more orders. Industry executives and analysts say that the looming end of the production tax credit has made project developers skittish about investing or going forward, and that reluctance has rippled through the supply chain. I do not understand why Mitt Romney, a billion dollars, I understand the need for fiscal for fiscal discipline, I understand the need for budgets, but of all of the ways that our government wastes money, I cannot imagine anybody looking to rejuvenate our economy. In this area of alternative energy, I cannot imagine that anyone would take a position, if you wanted to take a principled position, that anyone would believe that there is a principled position other than we will we will do away with this subsidy when all subsidies in the energy sector are done away with. How can anybody not take that perspective? How can Mitt Romney and the Republicans beat up on on this one industry, the wind business? which is in its literal infancy. How can they not say to the oil business, listen, guys, we're going to renew this tax credit. You guys get a lot of generosity. We've got the whole Sixth Fleet and more stationed in the Middle East protecting your supply of oil. We don't charge you for all the environmental damage you do in the drilling and and now in the fracking. We don't assess any carbon tax whatsoever for all of the burning of the oil and the coal. You guys don't have to pay a penny for any of that. Please, get off our backs about the $1 billion in tax credit to this pipsqueak of an industry, the wind business. And let's put some people back to work and keep them on the job in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, and elsewhere. Absolutely makes no sense to me. And then for Mitt Willard Romney to have the audacity to appear before wealthy donors, many of them, I'm sure, in the oil business, and to say that half of this country is looking for handouts, doesn't want to work. He has no confidence in his ability whatsoever to teach them to care about their own lives. I think it becomes rather understandable why the appearance of this videotape has really, really I mean, it's really stunned and, and angered people and why it is apparently putting his bid for the presidency further and further and further behind, which is what the polls are showing. We're going to take your calls in just a second. 713-526-5738. What do you think? Should we renew the, the wind subsidies? Yes or no? What is your idea? Should we, should we have fossil fuel subsidies? What is the government's role? These are great discussions. I welcome anybody, Republican, Libertarian, uh, Progressive, Democratic. 
let's talk about these things. 713-526-5738-526. KPFT. Back in a moment. Back to the New Capital Show. Uh, uh, you don't have to email me or start calling about who that awesome group uh, is because I'm going to tell you they're called Midlake and they're from Denton, Texas. Check them out. All right, let's go to the phone 713 526 5738. This is the New Capital Show. I'm Leo Gold. And uh, first up today is going to be Diana on line two. Diana, welcome to the New Capital Show. Thank you, Leo. Enjoy listening to you. Thank you. Um, I think it's fantastic to address the energy problem, but the thing with the wind, that there are definitely some inherent problems with wind. And if you have driven through a landscape that is filled with the big uh, windmills, that you can see that it's there's a finite problem with it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of visual, and you're just not getting the payoff. And what, what I would love to know is, are they exploring alternative energy using tide power? Because that's not as limited with motion as wind. Why do you say they're not getting a payoff? Well, the thing is, have you driven through any areas that have an abundance of the big windmills? Yes. Okay, so what's your impression of that? Uh, it's, a lot of, uh, it's a lot of turbines. Yeah, and it's, it kind of gives you vertigo. It kind of it kind of ruins a natural space when you're looking at these big turbines. As a matter of fact, there's on the East Coast, there's been all kinds of legal action to stall it from being installed on off water. Yeah, well, but Diana, let me let me just say that uh, I am good friends with a guy named Matt Power. Matt's been on the show before. He is a uh, he's a very prominent environmental attorney and and environmental activist in the Boston area. Lives in Lives in Newton, Massachusetts. has a uh, has a home on uh, on Cape Cod in Brewster, Massachusetts. And he drives by the one wind turbine they have on the way down to Cape Cod. Yeah, from- right, exactly. But but he was uh, he and others were major proponents of the uh, of the Cape Wind project, which has now been passed. Which uh, where turbines are going to be placed, uh, I guess in the uh, in the sound between between Martha's Vineyard and. Uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts, uh, on the elbow of right. of Cape Cod, and and so uh, y- you know even uh, people who are environmentally minded, like Matt, and I mean no one's more environmentally minded than Matt Powell, are for the construction of wind in a place where he, you know, he owns a home. So, right, and so- also if you go out towards Colorado, you'll you'll drive through. There's and there, it's a lot of bird maceration that goes on. Yeah, I'm, what I'm asking is, is there any exploration with Tide harnessing tide yeah, energy. Sure, there's a lot of that. But is it making any headway? All I, I hear about is wind and solar, and the inherent problems with it aren't making it 
worth cost effective. Well, it's not true, uh, Diane. It's not true. Wind wind is cost effective with this subsidy. So it's a two cent per kilowatt subsidy. So just just but, to keep. But how long? What essentially, if you have to continue to subsidize something, is it essentially cost effective? Well, again, I'm going to ask you, we spend $200 billion a year to secure petroleum supplies out of the Middle East. That's not tacked onto your gas bill. If exactly. That... I mean, do you want to build another huge sandcastle? That's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I, th this is exactly what Warren Buffett says, uh, You're and you're right about it. Warren Buffett says about subsidies, it's like a parade where the people in the first row are standing up, and that makes the people in the second row stand up. But if they stand up and everybody's standing on the st at street level, right? So imagine that this is a parade and there's no bleachers or anything. Everybody's standing, you know, somewhere on Fifth Avenue, New York. And so the first row stands up. That makes the second row stand up. But they can't see over the first row, so they got to do what? They got to stand on their tiptoes, which makes the third row stand up and stand on their tiptoes. And soon everybody has the same view that they had before, but they all have sore toes. Truly, that's so, why I'm saying. So. so so, so, but, but that's my point. My point is, is that, is that if you're going to take a principled stand against the subsidies into a particular sector of, of, uh, in, in part of the energy sector, the only, the only credible, tenable, uh, integral argument that you could make is we got to get rid of all the subsidies. Okay, From I'm with you to this point, but it, to get rid of all of them is to, is instituting more of them a step towards getting rid of them. No, you're 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 putting out of business. You're putting out of business one part of of a diversified uh, generating capacity in this country. And and it's not right that wind is not producing energy. It is. It doesn't do very well at producing what's called baseload. So so baseload uh, energy, which is which is the the basic amount needed in high peak kind of summertime periods, uh, peak periods. Yes, that's still a job that falls to coal generating or natural gas here in Texas. Uh, but but wind is producing a lot of energy, and solar is becoming incredibly cost-effective. Uh, right. As I've told people, when I bought my first solar panels, I was I paid about $5 uh, a watt, and they're now at $0.85 cents a watt and falling. So, Excellent. See, to me, all this core problem of energy cuts across every single political party, every economic strata, every group possible and it should be solution oriented we have all these roofs in houston every roof should have a solar panel yeah my own thoughts and i'd rather see the subsidy go towards that than towards building up another industry that won't be able to survive without a subsidy well uh diana i have to break it to you uh there are lots and lots of solar panels going onto roofs in california uh, and there are very large installation businesses that are being built because people can't install their own uh, panels. It's pretty complicated. Believe me, I've tried, and I threw my hands up and had to call my friend Maverick Brown out of Austin to help me. Uh, right, and, and if we lived in Austin, we would be special houses, but we you, well, where we live. Okay, but, 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 but be clear, in California, there are very substantial state tax breaks that are given to people who are putting these solar systems in. Right. I, so, I, so, so, here. so you're not, you know, the only other way to do it is is to just let the Chinese make everything and push the uh, prices down to zero, and maybe you don't need them then. Diana, great to have you. We've got, we're full up on calls here. I want to move along. Thanks for the call. Great to have you. Crazy. Thank you. Uh, Doyle, you had something. Yeah, let the Chinese subsidize it. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, so much of the Seems stuff's like getting the subsidized now by by quasi slave labor. Yeah. Some people would say total, you know, not even quasi slave labor, but but uh, there's uh, definitely actual a moral slave labor. So, so you know, until the world gets together and says, "Look, here are the ground rules," then all you've got are a bunch of politicians saying, doing their one off deal and trying to use it for their own political advantage to say, "Well, we're not going to subsidize the wind industry." You know, we're not going to put taxpayer dollars. Look, I'm a taxpayer, okay? I pay a lot of taxes. I would much rather my money be going to subsidize the wind power industry than to further military expenditures. We subsidize. If somebody asked me where you want my money going. That's where I'd rather have it going. I'd rather have it going to that than to all the exactly the agricultural subsidies that are hundred billion dollars a year, hundred fifty so billion have dollars a year. Soda or whatever. Yeah, cheap, cheap high fructose corn syrup. 
713-526-5738. We've got one line open. Five are taken. I love it. That means people are excited to talk. Let's take Doug on line four. Doug, welcome. Uh, hi. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you on, on most of your points, but I'm a little leery of air, or excuse me, of wind power yeah, because of the bird kill issue. And I kind of wish you'd, you'd go ahead and go into that a little bit. The actual statistics are a little, little bad. They're better than they used to be, but they're still pretty bad. But, but the other thing is I'm, I'm a little worried about using the sixth fleet and the 200 billion a year and characterizing it as a subsidy for the oil industry. If the Sixth Fleet were removed from the Persian Gulf area, the domestic oil industry would love it because their product would suddenly double or triple. Uh, what we're talking about here is a geopolitical risk, if you will, to oil supply to the entire United States. So it, it's, it's probably correctly done through taxpayers, uh, taxpayer revenue, uh, because it's it's a it's a risk to the nation's security, if you will. Uh, Doug, I, I, Doug, Doug, uh, you know, you you make a good point. Um, we we would see enormous price spikes in the in the um, in the short term, but seventy percent, maybe more, of the world's petroleum supply is in the Middle East. Yes, and they wouldn't have a market but for us. I understand that. The you know, problem is the short term can kill an awful lot of people, industries, you, you, destroy it, it, it What I'm saying is that it's just maybe not the right thing to characterize that as a subsidy. But it you is. Know? But it is. Know? It's not it's a subsidy. It's a subsidy for all of us. I don't particularly approve of it, but it, it, we are subsidizing our own you know, need for oil. But, Doug, but Doug, one man's subsidy is another man's penalty. Well, whatever. What I'm saying is, if we were trying to import wind power, no, it's not what it's not. It's not what that would be. That would be apples and apples. It's not. It's not whatever. If you are trying to make electric, whatever. If you are, if you are trying to make uh, a market and a business like people like Elon Musk are out in California. No, 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 hold it. I'm not talking about your your business discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm talking about whether or not it's proper to characterize the use of the Sixth Fleet as a subsidy for the domestic oil industry. I don't think it is. And, and, and I think you can still make your point without including that. That's not a subsidy. Well, it's a fair point. Go ahead, make your they, point, and then I'll, I'll, I'll respond to it. Uh, Go ahead. Anyway, uh, they, I think it was Gallup, you may, may have seen this, uh, did a kind of a focus group of about 600 people, uh, a mixture of Democrats, Republicans, et cetera, and 24% said they were less likely to vote for Romney. 20% said they were more likely. So, again, this is a situation where possibly, once again, what Romney has done or what the far right does merely enhances its own reputation within its own camp. Okay, Doug, thanks. Thanks for the call. All right, thank you. Bye. Uh, so let me respond to both of those. First, um, we will see what the polls say. Uh, I think the general consensus is that the remarks were, at the very least, highly problematic, and that was not just the view of Democrats. It was also the view of many Republicans. Uh, David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, uh, basically said, basically said, this guy has, uh, you know, gone off the tracks here. Uh, David Brooks is known as as a you know I know he's kind of a a liberal conservative but nevertheless his point in the New York Times was that that Romney's remarks were highly inappropriate people like Irving Crystal or uh, uh sorry Bill Crystal uh also said the same thing so so we'll see um everybody's got their polls but my perception is that whatever poll you're citing you know I don't know what it is uh but but I I think that the, this is going to have an impact, what he said. Um, you are correct. It is not a, let's call it a direct subsidy to the American oil companies. Uh, I've never said it's a direct subsidy to the American oil companies. In fact, I've said it's an indirect subsidy to the American oil companies. That's exactly what I mean. It is, it is an indirect subsidy. They're not being paid money. What they're having is a substantial part of the cost of their operations defrayed. If the, if the wind power industry had to have the Army protecting its wind turbines, you know, that would be equivalent, right? If the solar power industry here in the United States had to have the Army 
protecting solar panels, that would be a cost. And our military is stationed in the Middle East because of oil. You need to understand that. That is why our army is there. Our Navy is there. It's because of oil. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have our Army and Navy stationed there. You can make a good argument that they should be there. But I'm saying that that should be priced through in the form of a gas tax or something at the pump. That's that's my idea. I understand. You can disagree with it. It's okay. But, but, uh, but that would get us closer to the full cost of petroleum that's being sourced out of the Middle East. Uh, let's take uh, let's take Bill on line five. Bill, welcome to the New Capital Show. Thank you, Leo. I have to agree with you. We need to uh, level the field in subsidies. And if it means we take a half of the oil subsidies indirect or direct and give it to the uh, wind or solar, so be it. You know, uh, the wind power, the ones that look like the old ones with the uh, propeller blades that airplanes used to have, yep. those are inefficient. Mm-hmm. The ones that go that are vertical and spiral through the spiral are more efficient. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, South Korea is bringing uh, uh, solar panels to San Antonio. They're fixing to put a factory in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so, good to yeah. hear. I'm glad to hear that, Bill, uh, because this uh, piece uh, out of the New York Times today by Diane Cardwell paints a uh, a picture of a very, very nervous industry that has laid off its workers or is laying off its workers and 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 project uh, projects that are being delayed uh, pending whether whether this uh, subsidy is going to to go through and again i'm not a big fan of subsidies uh, i don't like it they are the result of lobbying and influence peddling in the government but but you can't get just one guy's subsidy out and leave everyone else's intact you've got you've got to you've got to arrive at a policy that's going to that's going to get everybody to parity and where everyone's paying their their fair costs, no more, no less, or everybody's receiving a similar subsidy, no more, no less. That's true. Otherwise, otherwise, you're you're uh, discriminating against yeah. uh, the other businesses, and uh, you know that's really not fair either. And my question is, if this guy said it hadn't produced enough to make it profitable to the American people, how long has this company been in business? Has it been in five years with subsidies every five years or what? Yeah, because well, everybody knows the first five years are critical. Yeah, Bill, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't know what company we're talking. Uh, he was talking about, but uh, I'm talking about the uh, uh, windmill factory that's going out. Has it been in? Oh, has it been, has uh, it been in business at least five years? Well, Gamesa is a large Spanish uh, turbine company, so it's a, it's a large company in Spain. Uh, the, and you probably know that uh, Spain has gone through a boom and bust in wind turbines, along with the Spanish economy. And in in Europe, they have also been withdrawing subsidies from the wind business as well. So this is not just a United States uh, uh, issue; it's happening in Europe as well. Yeah, well, that's because of their economy. That's correct. That's correct. You okay, know, it's, it's not because they're not efficient or anything; it's because of their economy. Yeah, they're, bro- they're broke. Japanese subsidized heavily yeah i worked with a japanese company in the u.s yeah right that's, it, it, that's right it was heavily subsidized yeah the spanish are broke and so they've had to cut it off bill thanks for the call you're welcome bye-bye okay uh next up is david on line six david welcome good hey, afternoon good afternoon what's on your mind uh i'm i'm just frustrated when i listen to people continue to say um that the wind industry is is not a um a viable industry <laughs> right um, it's very much it's just it's really amazing that you keep making these really good points they're very salient and people still come back and say no this this industry is not viable the reason why it's not viable is simply because the other industries have more total subsidies than it does That's and right. it's just it's really it's really outrageous that people continue to uh to listen to you and not listen. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. The wind industry is uh, is a is a new business. It's it's um, it's a few decades old, and in some ways, it was just hitting its stride when we hit this recent uh, economic downturn. And uh, my hope is that we will continue to make technological improvements, 
And uh, as the worker in the article said, these are really, really good jobs. They are they are machining parts that are uh, that are that are highly technical. Lots of lots of very fine tolerances, and we need those kind of jobs in this country. And I'm just shocked that that Mitt Romney and Republicans would not want to spend a billion dollars to ensure the continuation of this business in this country. I, I, I I'm just shocked. I mean, to, to me, to take that position, you would have to have your conscience totally cleaned of all subsidies coming out of your party and your political process. And I don't see that happening in the Republican Party. Otherwise, I can't see how you want to deprive this business other, other than the fact that its competitors are your political supporters. And that's got to be what it comes down to. David, thanks for the call. Great to have you. 713-526-5738. We've got about two lines open for our holding. Uh, let's take, uh, let's take Teresa on line three. Hi, Teresa. Hi. Thanks for taking me, Leo. You bet. Um, I'm looking at the business section from yesterday and it said of the 400 richest in the United States, 13 are from the Houston area. Mm-hmm. And of those 13, eight of them are in pipelines, oil, mm-hmm. And the ninth one is in energy, so maybe he maybe he's well, going to win. Well, and let me interrupt you. Four of those are the children of Dan Duncan. Mm-hmm. They are the children, so they are not the they're not the man himself. And as I brought up last week when I was talking about estate taxes, Dan Duncan died in 2010, the year when the estate tax totally expired. He died suddenly and unexpectedly, and his four children inherited uh, four or five billion dollars each. So Tom Duncan you, is 29 years old. Yeah, and his income is, uh, his net worth, I guess, is 4.7 billion. We passed, we passed uh, all that with no tax whatsoever onto the Duncan children, who are, uh, I'm sure, they're wonderful people. Uh, but, but yeah, there you go. So, so my point is, you know, in Texas, when there's all this money in in pipelines yep. and oil, are are they going to support? Uh, solar energy? Are they going to support wind energy? No, I no. think they're going to support their own investments, which is in pipelines. So they're going to be supporting Cornyn and Hutchison and Poe and McCall and Brady and whoever is going to support legislation that says no subsidies to wind, but let's subsidize oil. So that's only natural. And when I and I loved, I loved the comments of every one of our callers, and and I think. What I have to say to Diana is there is so much misinformation that we're not aware of because people, some people are anti-science and some people are covering their own best interests. And they'll put misinformation out about solar or wind. And, you know, there was an editorial by somebody in the Chronicle last week that said, oh, no, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, you know, continue those subsidies. I recommend that people read a book called Secrets and Lies and Anatomy of an Anti-Environmental PR Campaign. You know, those big companies pay PR departments to fake letters and information that suggests that, you know, wind and solar are not uh, not viable. So we just really have to be careful about what, where we get our information. I would love, Leo, for you to write something in the paper and talk. Talk about this issue because you're very articulate. Thank, thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Well, I am talking about it. <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm here. <laughs> Looks like I'm here. I think I'm. Am I here, Doyle? Be here now. And I'm being here now. And I'm talking about it. So, uh, I wish I could write more and do more, but um, I'm just. I'm tired when I get home, folks. I like to eat some dinner. Is that okay? And <laughs> spend a little time with my kids. And by that point, it's about eight thirty. And this old man at forty, almost forty-seven, is pretty much ready to to knock off. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, yes, we, we, as I've said, if you have two forms of energy, one produces billions of tons of CO2, and just imagine you are producing this energy all in your backyard, and you're emitting two billion tons of CO2, and your neighbor next door is putting out the same amount of electricity, no emissions whatsoever. How can those two forms of energy be, be considered to have the same cost? All other things being equal. It's just, it's just not possible. And yet, now you see exactly why this effort to discredit climate science and to discredit the idea of a carbon tax or a gas tax 
but especially a carbon tax, why this has been so prominent by these by these fossil fuel businesses. They don't want to pay the full costs. And when we have scientists, as Teresa correctly points out, coming back and saying, hey, there's a cost. We don't know exactly what it is. We're getting pretty close. We've got some of our best scientists and economists working in universities all over the place, which, of course, is why they want to disparage universities now, right? We don't want any information coming out of universities to, to, to bear on our opinions, which is really why universities are attacked so much by, by uh, conservative Republican-sponsored organizations. Because so much of what comes out, they don't like. You know, there's a cost to CO2 going into the atmosphere. Oh, we got to get rid of the university that's putting out that information. So this is the problem. This is the problem. Let's take Brianna on line two. Hey, Brianna, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, this is going to be short because I agree with everything you're saying. And I just wow. think that people forget that oil is a finite resource not going to be here forever that's right so why would you throw your money down the drain on something that's going to go away because it's because it's what i said uh, brianna the the uh, gasoline is incredibly powerful uh you know we we don't think anything about driving from here to austin but but the 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 btus or whatever i'm not a i'm not a petroleum engineer or a uh, physicist but 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 uh, my understanding is that whatever the BTUs that refined unleaded gasoline provides, it's more than you know than solid rocket fuel going into the Saturn uh, Saturn booster that launched our guys into space to go to the moon. It's that powerful, and so so that's why uh, that's why we love it. It's why we use it, and and we can continue to use it. But it should be priced appropriately. And if and it and if it takes if it takes armies to secure the supply of it, that should be in the cost. If it if, if if it if it puts CO two if if CO two is a is a residue of the combustion of it that goes into the atmosphere in large quantities and there's a cost to changing our climate that should be included in the cost of it. You see. And it should. And at the same time, I what I don't understand about conservatives is why they feel that it's not important to invest in renewable energies. Because they're not conservative. They're not conservative. They're they're radicals. They don't want to conserve anything. They want to burn the place down. And I exactly agree. And I think that a lot of conservative followers don't either they're not listening or they just don't understand. And I think it's particularly sad that they would back a candidate that has no ideas whatsoever. Brianna, thanks for the call. Great to have you. To to cons- to be a conservative, which I am, I'm a conservative. You have to want to conserve something. You know, I'm waiting to see what conservatives want to want to preserve other than, like, you know, their stuff. <laughs> Anything else on the list, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Let me know. I'm waiting to see it. Uh, let's take uh, Kathleen's been holding for a bit. Kathleen, welcome to the Hi. New Capital Show. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, I wanted to address the point about uh, bird kill from wind turbines. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the League of uh, Cons- um, Conservation uh, Scientists, mm-hmm. uh, their latest um, newsletter addresses that, and it's talking about how the technology is improving and the uh, bird kill has been reduced by hundreds of thousands by making taller and uh, larger um uh, wind turbines, and they also make the point that uh, nobody talks about how many birds uh, and their habitats are destroyed by the emissions from uh, uh, coal plants. Yeah, and so. you know, Kathleen, if we can come up with a number uh, and um, and and we can quantify what it's going to cost to restore those populations or create a- avian preserves or something, then fine. Let the wind industry pay for it if if we can't solve it. But my guess is technologically. We're going to be able to solve this, and they are working on it. I think they're adding lights and sounds and stuff to the turbines that steer them away. So I think a technology solution is probably going to be the case there. Uh, but, but yeah, let's. I, I'm not saying there aren't costs associated with wind. Let's cost it out and assess it on the business. But the, the cost is also associated with uh, other forms of, uh, of uh, fuel. Power and and you you mentioned the lights. My husband, the environmental engineer, was talking about. Um, he works with energy at GE, and he was talking about uh, how red lights confuse the birds. 
mm-hmm. and just uh, changing the lights um, that are associated with the yep. wind turmers from red to blue. Kathleen, thanks for the call. Bye. Okay, we've got just about four, three, three or four minutes, so let's try to move through some of these calls here. David uh, is next. David, welcome. Hey, Leo, how you doing? I'm doing good. Appreciate the show. Uh, Thank just, you. Uh, kind of a devil's advocate thing here. I am for all of the above, but don't you think the uh, 60 cents a gallon we pay for gasoline at the pump pretty much pays for the uh, fixed fleet? You, uh, in the taxes that we pay? Yeah, we pay a lot of tax on the, ga- um, on the gas. You know, David, I don't know how those taxes are allocated. I think a lot of it, though, goes to the transportation funds. Uh, most of it, I think the vast majority of it goes to the federal highway funds. Uh, and that's how the highways are funded. So I would be perfectly fine to say, you want to fund highways some other way? Fine, fund the highways some other way. And you want to use the 60 cents to go to the, uh, to go to the fleets, uh, in the Middle East? That's fine. But right now, that 60 cents is not going to, uh, to defray that cost. It's, um, it's, it's, it's going into, into highway, uh, highway maintenance and expansion of the highway systems. Yeah, I didn't know where it went, so, yeah. well, thanks for that. Okay, thanks for the call. All right, bye. Peter is on line six. Peter, welcome to the New Capital Show. Thanks, Leo. Yep. I, I, I got on here a couple minutes ago. You've covered most of this. You know, these so-called conservatives, they want to kill the wind, wind industry and the solar industry. There's no money in it for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, Peter. I think there are probably a lot of very good uh, conservative Republican business people who are involved in solar, involved in wind. But for whatever reason, this party has taken uh, and continues to take stands against those industries. Uh, they tend to regard those industries as uh, creations of, of liberal politicians rather than what they are, which is, is, which is growing, uh, young, and critical parts of a diversifying energy infrastructure in this country. Okay? Exactly. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Oh, good. We're working through these. Let's take Frank on line three. Frank, welcome. Oh, hey, Leo. I, uh, I just wanted to comment that I, I don't see how anybody could think that the future is not in solar and wind. More energy falls on the surface of the earth in one day yeah. <laughs> than the world requires in an entire year. Isn't that amazing? It's a, it's a, it's a great stat. Give it to everybody again, and, Frank. And there's another thing I want to tell you. Uh, if you transmit power through those power lines that we see, you know, behind your house and stuff, uh, up to 50 to 60% of that power is lost in the transmission. If you put a solar panel on your house, it only has to go about 40 to 50 feet to the electrical service. Yeah. You know, that's when you transmit power, you lose it due to electrical resistance. Frank, thanks for the call, and um, I appreciate also, it. One nope, no, I can't. I got to go. I got to go. Thanks, Frank. I'm out of time. Wish I had more. Uh, Ryan and Scott, I'm sorry we did not get to you today, but we are out of time. Uh, we just had a lot of callers today, and I want to thank everybody. Uh, you can friend me on Facebook. Please do, Leo Gold dot New Capital Show, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Leo Gold NCS, and our website uh, is newcapitalshow.com. It does it for another edition. I'll be back next week. Thanks to Doyle, as always, for the fine job that he does engineering the show. Stay tuned. For the KPFT Local News, followed by Al Jazeera, followed by Democracy Now! Take care. Celebrate fall with Green Mountain Energy Thursday Concerts at Discovery Green, co-sponsored by 90.1 KPFT-FM. The fall season features free concerts showcasing outstanding regional performers at Discovery Green on Thursdays in September and October. Discovery Green is Houston's number one spot to picnic on the grass, dance on the patio, and watch the sunset over this gorgeous downtown skyline. This week's concert features thundering soul and American rock and roll. On Thursday, September 20th, enjoy grandfather child's genre-bending approach to music and performance and folk family revival's blend of rock, folk, bluegrass, and country music for a unique Texas sound. Shows start at 6.30. Everyone is welcome. Most street parking is free starting at 6. Bring your picnics, blankets, and lawn chairs, but leave your glass containers and alcohol at home. Don't worry. Food, wine, and beer are also available at the Lake House Restaurant. For more details and the full concert lineup, visit discoverygreen.com. KBFD Houston.
guess it's time again for the third annual Irish Airs Fundraiser and Picnic to be held at Dan Electro, 1031 East 24th Street, just off North Main inside the Loop. Fun begins at 1 p.m. featuring music by Constant Billy, the Dead Rabbits, Murder the Stout, and a performance by the Old Lady School of Irish Dance. But wait, there's more. A picnic lunch will be provided by our friends Irish Society with dogs, burgers, and all the fixings out on the spacious outdoor patio. So mark your daytimer for Sunday, September 30th, 1 to 6 p.m., Dan Electro's Irish Air Fundraiser and Picnic. We'll be saving you a seat. 